like to invite uh, us all to stand together as we continue this portion of our service with a word of prayer to the Lord as we get into our study this morning. Lord, you indeed are the king of this world. Help us always to remember that you are the king and we are not. You are the king of all kings, far above all rule and authority. Help us when we are tempted to doubt your rule. Help us when we are tempted to doubt your wisdom and your goodness. Help us when we are tempted to take matters into our own hands. And I pray that you would teach us today through your word how to submit to you more freely, trusting that you are truly the king, that we are children of the king, and you have our good in mind. And so we trust that your spirit would lead us and guide us through our study this morning to your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, I, I don't know about you, it's a little hard for me to believe we're coming to the end of our study through First Peter. Uh, we have this week and next week, and we're going to be done. Uh, we have this one week left uh, next week. And uh, where have we been? wanted to review a little bit where we've been to set up for our study today in 1 Peter 5. Peter is writing to people who are under fire. Those who are known as Christ's ones, Christians, are experiencing slander, reviling, ridicule, insults, unfair treatment. And Peter talks about this happening in government affairs, in the workplace, within marriages, and even within the church itself, there was uh, things going on. And Peter gives us four overarching perspectives for you who are his children, that we are to, what, what does it mean to live by faith in Jesus in the midst of these sufferings, in the midst of this world? Number one, he says, God is guarding your inheritance for you and is guarding you for your inheritance. Uh, there is no way that we are going to miss the inheritance that God has prepared for us. Number two, God considers you blessed if you are so identified with Jesus that you suffer the same way he suffered. He considers you blessed if you are so identified with Jesus that you suffer the same way he suffered. Thirdly, God's grace in your life enables you to live for the will of God and to do good even in the face of suffering. God's grace enables you to live for the will of God and to do good even in the face of suffering. And then number four, this fourth perspective that Peter has been driving home to us, Jesus is coming back one day, at which time you will be rescued from all suffering and will be totally vindicated. All evil will be judged and put away once and forever. If you look through the, uh, Peter's letter here, the revelation of Jesus Christ, or when Jesus Christ is revealed, is mentioned no less than six times and alluded to a couple others. His coming back is to be part of our hope uh, in this world. Thus, P Peter teaches us about life on our journey home. That's the title of this series. He teaches us about life on our journey home, how we are to live in the midst of the sufferings of this world as we journey home to the new heavens and the new earth. We live best when we live with the end in view. We live best when we live with the end in view. 
I was reminded of this uh, living best with the end in, in view on a recent bike ride. I'm sorry for those of you who are here. This is not going to be as dramatic as the other one. So I'm, I'm sorry. How can you top that one? But uh, not this past Friday, but Friday a week ago, uh, we went down to visit my son and daughter-in-law in Virginia, and I was able to take advantage of the opportunity to ride a large portion of the Skyline Drive in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Beautiful. Uh, did I say they were in the mountains? Uh, when, you, when people talk about the Skyline Drive, uh, they say there, there are two directions on the Skyline Drive. One is up and the other is down. Uh, so I'm about 40 miles into my ride, uh, probably about an hour from lunch, and uh, feeling like I need to call Laurel and say, come bail me out of this. Uh, she reassured me she would have said, just rock up and keep moving. Uh, <laughs> she wouldn't, wouldn't have come to get me. Uh, but what I did was I looked at the map, and I realized I was 10 miles away from lunch, and there were three downs and three ups between me. So I looked at it and said, all right, I can do that. So I counted them as they went off. All right, here's down number one, here's up number one, here's down number two, up number two. So I had this end in view, and so I made it to lunch. I knew I had about 35 miles left after lunch, uh, but uh, I thought I would be okay because the last, or there's 10 miles in the middle there that's all downhill. It's just 10 miles of downhill. I don't have to do anything, just sit there and ride the bike. And then the last, at the bottom of the mountain, is going to be riding pretty much flat road till I get to my son and daughter-in-law's house. What I didn't know is when I got to the bottom of the mountain, uh, there was a wind that was trying to blow me back up the mountain. <laughs> so I spent the last few miles of that ride uh, fighting the wind. I had to stop a few times, catch my breath, let my legs recover a little bit. And I remember at that point, again, saying, I need to call Laurel and come and get me. This is just too much. But I finally looked at a map, and I said, well, I'm four miles away. So I said, I think I can do this. I think I can do this. So I did it. The reason I was able to do it is because I was able to have the end in view. I was able to realize, all right, I can do this because I have the end in view. Now, in God's dealings with us, he doesn't give us how many miles are left in our life. He doesn't tell, many, doesn't tell us how many ups and downs are left. He doesn't tell us the distances and times. He gives us something that's far better. He gives us himself. And he says, at just the right time, I'm going to rescue you from the struggles and the sufferings that you're in. So as we live with the end in view, we recognize that the sufferings of this life are temporary and the struggles that we have, he is aware of those struggles and will one day rescue us from them, whether uh, relieving us here or taking us out of this world by death or by his return. In any event, he has us firmly in his hands. So today we're going to look at 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 5. Actually, we're going to start at uh, chapter 4, verse 19, because I believe it's part of the flow. It almost feels like Peter is uh, randomly tying up some loose ends that are disconnected from what he had said before. But in reality, uh, we have to ask ourselves the question, how does this subject, he's talking about the elders of the church, the shepherds of the church, uh, is this something he just had to slip in before he was done, or is this related to the subject? How does it fit into the topic of suffering? So we're going to uh, look at that, and uh, I'm going to hopefully demonstrate as we go through this. This is not a new subject. He's just continuing the flow of, uh, of uh, his thought. It, the question here is, in the midst of suffering, who's in charge of God's church? In the midst of the sufferings of this world and the sufferings of our lives, who's in charge? Who's in charge? So I direct your attention to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 19 and read to chapter 5, 
verse 5. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we're going to see this is not really a new subject. Uh, we're going to be looking at shepherds and sheep here. The title of the message was of shepherds and sheep. We're going to be looking at shepherds and sheep. We'll deal with shepherds first and then come to the sheep. Um, and with the shepherds, uh, Peter gives us three descriptors, three images of what those shepherds are to be. But first, I just bring to your remembrance, this, is, this will be a homework assignment, I guess. We're not going to take the time to go there. Uh, oftentimes when we think about elders, we think of Paul's words in 1 Timothy 3 about uh, what elders are to be. There, there, Paul gives us the criteria by which we can recognize who within the congregation God is raising up to be elders, being leaders in the church. And basically, he says there are four things. He says, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a, it's a fine work he desires to do. So there's a desire, there's an aspiration that God places in a heart. Then God says through Paul that there is a godly character that must influence or be pervasive in this person's life that demonstrates the character that God is building. He must not be a recent convert not a novice in the faith, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church. Unbelievers must uh, view him in a favorable light. Paul's emphasis was in 1 Timothy was on the qualifications of the elder. Peter's emphasis here is how the leaders function within the church, how they function within the church. We're going to look at who they are, how they are to serve, and why they are to serve, as that's what Peter deals with here. So, who they are. So there are three descriptors here. Peter starts off in verse 1. He says, I exhort the elders among you. Elders. So that's the first descriptor of church leaders. The word literally means older. It's the word we get, it's the word presbyteros, from which we get presbytery or presbyterian. Or if you have trouble seeing because you're old, presbyopia. Or if you have trouble hearing because you're old, presbyacusis. It's seeing or hearing of old age. Uh, we'll let it go at that, but it refers to old. But also, if you look at the scriptural usage, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the concept of elders also refers to those who, by maturity of spiritual experience, are called by God to lead His people. Elders are those who, by maturity of spiritual experience, are called to lead His people, and in the New Testament context, those who are in a local assembly. So we need to make a couple observations here. Number one, age by itself does not guarantee maturity in the knowledge and ways of God. Age itself does not guarantee maturity in the knowledge and ways of God. On the other hand, it is difficult for youth to have the depth of relationship and experience with God to be a good and wise leader. Leaders are called elders for a reason. 
It takes time to build the depth of wisdom and understanding and relationship with God that is necessary to be a wise leader. Sometimes we even have in our language in English a, a phrase that refers to that. Sometimes we refer to a young person as being wise beyond their years. Well, what are we saying? That there's a wisdom there that they shouldn't have because they've not had enough experience. So that's sort of the exception that proves the rule that wisdom really comes with time and with seasoning, but it is possible for a younger person to have that wisdom, and we call that wise beyond their years. So being an elder is not specifically talking about age. It's talking about a level of spiritual maturity that God has built in to call that person to be a leader in his church. Notice also, he says, I exhort the elders among you. It's no accident if you look at the uh, New Testament record that it's in plural, it's in plural. Uh, this is what we call the plurality of leadership. There is more than one elder that leads the, the church. Being elders is a shared task. It's a shared task. It's not a solo job. It's a shared task. And then notice how Peter, this great apostle, if you look at Peter, uh, who he was, his relationship with Jesus, and how God used him in, the, in establishing the New Testament church, this great apostle Peter, how he compares himself to the elders. Again, in verse 1, he says, as a fellow elder, a fellow elder. He's a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. He puts himself in the same camp. He says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm just like you. This apostle Peter, he says, I'm just like you. I'm an elder just like you. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And in context, I think he's talking about two things. I was an eyewitness of Jesus' suffering, but I'm also a fellow sufferer with you. I am receiving the same insults and the same ridicule and the same ostracism that you are. We are suffering in this together. And just as I am a fellow elder and a fellow sufferer, I am the fellow partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. See, he refers again here, keeping the end in mind, keeping the end in view. The glory that's going to be revealed when Jesus comes back, we are partakers together. Peter sees himself in the same light as these unnamed elders of these unnamed churches. Peter, we know all about, if you've read the New Testament. He even has two letters in the Bible named after him. But he puts himself in the same boat as these unnamed elders in these unnamed churches. So just as we saw that elders had a plurality, there was plural, there is also we see a parity. There is an equality here. Not all the same in gifting or tasks, but all on an equal footing before God and their responsibilities to lead God's church. So the first, descriptor of the, or the first descriptor of leadership in the church is that of elder. The second we see in verse 2, uh, uh, he starts right off. He says, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. So elders are shepherds. Elders are shepherds. That's the word poimeian, and it actually can be translated pastors. So what do shepherds do? Shepherds feed the sheep, they guard the sheep, they protect the sheep from within and from without. As I was reading, I said, oh yeah, because I was, when I was thinking of protecting, I was thinking from wolves and lions and things outside, but actually within a flock, there are sheep that try to throw their weight around a little bit and uh, intimidate the weaker ones, and, and sometimes the shepherd has to protect the sheep within the flock from one another. Uh, it's the same thing that happens within the local congregation. A shepherd is to heal, 
to strengthen, to rescue. And there is individual care for individual sheep, and there is corporate care. Shepherds do all of these things and more. I'm sure I left some things out. But the point that Peter is making here is that all elders are shepherds. That's part of the task, part of the job they are to do. All elders are pastors. All elders are shepherds. Some elders we set apart to work full time, often with advanced training, and it is these that we have come to, to know as pastors in sort of a narrow definition of what that word means. But the biblical teaching is that all elders are pastors. They are shepherds of the flock. Again, differing gifts, differing responsibilities, but with the same overall purpose to lead and to shepherd God's church. So the first descriptor of God's leaders are elder. The second is shepherd. The third, Peter goes on, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. We are overseers, overseers. That's the word episkopos. You may recognize the word episcopal. That's where we get that from. An old English word that was related to this it was bishop. When you talk about bishops, that's where this word came from. The word literally means, as overseer, to watch over and to give careful attention to. So the elders are spiritually mature men who God has called out of the congregation to be shepherds of His church and to be overseers, to be shepherds to feed and guard and protect and guide and heal and strengthen, and overseers to watch over and to give careful attention to. Well, that's the who they are. What about how? Peter goes on to say how they are to lead how they are to serve. And he gives three sets of negatives and positives. And he starts off in, at the end of verse 2 there, not under compulsion, but willingly. The elders are to rule willingly, not by some force, some compulsion, not some um, sense of obligation from themselves or from others or for cir from circumstances, but there's to be a willingness there. And then he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So willingly and eagerly, with a readiness, not for the sake of personal gain. It's unfortunate that many people seek the position of elder or pastor because of some personal gain of power, perhaps money. Not here, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Prestige or power, position, fame, they seek the office because of what it's going to get them, not because of the opportunity to serve that God has called them to. And then he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples, being examples. So do it willingly, eagerly as examples, rather than domineering, rather than controlling or bringing the sheep under one's own power. That word domineering that the, the ESV translates uh, is lording. It's the same word that we talk about, the Lord Jesus Christ or the Lord God. It's the same word that there are leaders who try to lord it over the church. And one way I like to look at this is if you, if you think of who God is, we often think of God as being uh, omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent, right? So he knows everything. He's all-powerful and he's all-knowing. Well, you watch a leader in the church who's like that they're the only ones who knows anything. They're the only one who can give any advice or direction. Uh, they're the only ones that has the, the final authority. No one can say anything or do anything. And they're the, the ones that are everywhere. They're omnipresent. Everywhere you look, there they are, there they are, there they are. That becomes a lording over at the church, a domineering over the church. 
What Peter is describing is that this is servant leadership, leading from the bottom. Some people have said you need to smell like sheep. You need to be among the sheep so much that you smell like sheep, willingly, eagerly, and as being an example. And failure in one or more of these areas has led to the downfall of many prominent Christian leaders, even recently. And so there's a warning here. This is not some theoretical kind of thing. This is very real, very true, and very close to home. Even in our country, if you look at leaders around the country who have fallen from grace, this, these failure in one of these areas is often that area. So who they are, how they are to serve, and why they are to serve. He goes into you know, verse 4, and this starts to get to the answer of who's in charge. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We are to serve because of the chief shepherd who's going to appear one day soon. We are to serve because of the chief shepherd. If you look back to chapter 2, verse 25, chapter 2, verse 25, it's very interesting as I was preparing this. It was one of those, huh, look at that. Verse 25 says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus is referred to as the shepherd and overseer of our souls. But we just saw that elders are shepherds and overseers. So what's going on here? Well, elders are shepherds and overseers as under-shepherds of the chief shepherd. They are under-shepherds of the chief shepherd. If you look in verse 2 here in chapter 5, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God. The church is God's flock. It's no, it doesn't belong to anybody else. It's God's flock. Look in verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge. I think another translation says, over those allotted to your charge. The flock has been entrusted to the elders. The flock is God's flock that God says, okay, I'm putting you as under-shepherds they are in your charge, but they are my flock. And then in Hebrews 13, 17, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, and they keep watch over your souls. They keep watch over your souls. Isn't that interesting? It's parallel. Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Elders are shepherds and overseers who keep watch over our souls. The difference is, as the writer of Hebrews says, uh, they do so as those who will give an account those who will give an account. Those who are elders will give an account directly to God for how they stewarded the flock that was entrusted to their care. I guess I could step out for a moment and uh, say, ouch, uh, as one of the elders in the church here, when you think about that, it's a very sobering thing to keep in mind that um, there's an accounting that's going to have to be made for this. It's not a... Uh, like he says, we should do it not for personal gain. We should do it as a stewardship of what God has given us. And what is the reward of that? He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There at the end of verse 4, the unfading crown of glory. I don't know what the unfading crown of glory is. I don't know. God doesn't tell us I don't believe what it is. But it, what we do know is that it's a good thing. And it's a reward for faithful service. 
It's a reward for faithful service. And Peter's referring to crowns of, of leaves that were often given to victors in athletic uh, competitions. Well, what about those crowns? They were fading crowns. And they were fading crowns of a temporary glory because you might be the best in that race today and tomorrow somebody better is going to beat you. He says, no, this is an unfading crown of glory. An unfading crown of glory. So elders are to shepherd and oversee as those entrusted to manage something that is not their own. Elders are to shepherd and oversee as those entrusted to manage something that is not their own, trusting the chief shepherd to appropriately reward in due time. Well, that's the shepherds. What about the sheep? He goes on in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So you, are, you who are younger... Again, that word young refers to young as opposed to old. I believe in the context he's talking about that is those who are not elders. That includes those who are young in age because we talked about that before. There's a certain level of maturity that comes with, uh, with being older. But it's also talking about young in maturity. You can be 92 and be very young in spiritual maturity. And then in, in the context of the verses we go on, I believe he's really talking about uh, all of us together. Not every mature believer is called to be an elder. Not every mature believer is called to be an elder. So what does he say that these younger, these non-elders are to do? They are to be subject to the elders. That means to arrange yourself under. That's what that word means. Arrange yourself under. It's a choice of the will. It's a decision. Well, when you think about it, there is some suffering in that, right? And I've been there. It's often difficult to submit to imperfect leaders. Often difficult, always difficult to submit to imperfect leaders, especially in our culture that prizes independence. Sheep can be impatient, unwilling to submit to leadership, not understanding what's going on, being critical, being confused. Peter says that's where, the, that's where there's an element of suffering, an element of struggle that comes in here because you are to subject yourself, you are to arrange yourself under, you are to make a choice of the will, make a decision to do so. Um, and if you look back at verse 3, remember we talked about not domineering? I thought it was very interesting that submission is not to be forced, it is to be willingly given. Submission doesn't come from the person who's the leader saying, you must submit to me. The, the submission comes from the person, the sheep, who is to lead, who to follow, who says, I am willing to be subject to you. It's not, it's not forced from the top. And then Peter goes on very quickly. Uh, it's almost as if he says, you know, let me back up this a little bit, and we need to broaden the lens. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, whether you are elders, whether you are shepherds or sheep, whether you are elders or younger, all of you clothe yourselves, dress yourselves, put on. It's an act of decision. It's something you are to do. You are to clothe yourselves with what? With humility towards one another, with humility towards one another. That's what makes this whole thing work, is that we are mutually submitting to one another in humility. I love one definition of humility that I came across. It says, having a deep sense of one's littleness. Having a deep sense of one's littleness. I think that's a great way of 
looking at. It doesn't mean that you're insignificant. It doesn't mean that you, you're a nobody, that, you, that you're useless. No, it means that you know your place in the scheme of things, that you are not the most important. Paul says in Philippians, regarding others as more important than yourself. Regarding others. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's a statement of love and concern and submission to one another. When we are suffering... For whatever reason, whether it's suffering from outside, whether it's suffering in our personal lives or suffering even within the church, for whatever reason, our tendency is to what? Is to become self-focused, to become self-preserving, to become (laughs) self-indulging. Think of self-indulging, right? When do I raid the cookie jar most often? The worst time I have at work, when the bad day at work is when I raid the cookie jar most often, having stuff I shouldn't be having, right? Uh, those are the times we make excuses for ourselves when we are struggling the most and under the most suffering. Peter reminds us that we are to be God-centered. We are to be God-centered in both our leading as well as our following. We are to be God-centered in our leading and in our following. I came across this quote in a commentary. He says, leadership does not mean superiority and the right to domineer. Followership does not confer the right to undermine. Leadership does not mean superiority and the right to domineer. Followership does not confer the right to undermine. Why? Because all of us ultimately are under the chief shepherd. All of us ultimately are under the chief shepherd. So what's the motivation for all of us in relating to one another when he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In this idea, I was trying to think, how does God oppose the proud and give grace to the humble? I think there are myriads of ways that God does that, and I just decided I would share one example in my life. Uh, Again, it's another Viking story. I I don't know how this happens. Uh, I, I... was coming back up Cobbs Creek Parkway in uh, West Philadelphia after having made a trip around the, the airport. And uh, I came across an older gentleman who was walking his bike, obviously with a flat tire. And uh, I immediately saw a potential opportunity to serve here. So I stopped and said, do you have any problem? He said, yeah, I got a flat tire. And I said, he said, I don't know what to do to fix it. I can't do anything. I said, well, I can do this for you because I carry a patch kit, I carry a spare tire. I mean, I got it all, so I can do this. So, but something happened in that moment <laughs> that I will share later. So I took his wheel off, took the tire off, took the tube out, found where the hole was, said, this should be easy. This is easy peasy. I can do this. I've done this a million times. And so I put the glue on, let it dry, took the cover off the patch, put the patch on, blew it up, and it didn't stick. I said, well, that's odd. Let me try that again. So put the glue on, took the cover off, put the patch on, blew it up, and it didn't stick. I went through that three or four times, and the patches weren't sticking. I've done this before. I know how to do this, really. I I can rescue this guy. I know how to do this. (laughs) I gave up on that because I was running out of patches. I said, well, I'll give him my spare tire. Well, that didn't work because my tire happened to be a different size than his. That wouldn't, it just wouldn't fit his bike. There was no way to make the tire that I had fit his bike, and I won't get into why, but it would not fit. So I left him the same way I found him, walking away, 
Only now he's about half an hour later than he was, <laughs> walking away with a bike with a flat tire and no way to fix it. And I'm trying to figure out what happened on my way home. And finally, to my humiliation and dismay, it came to me that my motivation for him was not to serve him, but to show him how good I was. I can do this, and I can show you how good I am. I'm a better person than you are because I can do something that you can't do. And what I had done, a patch has two sides. And there's a cover on both sides. One that's a bright blue, at least the patches I was using, and the other which is a transparent one. I was pulling the transparent one on and sticking it. Unfortunately, the sticky side is the blue side. And at one point, I even had a chance, because as I was trying to get this thing off, he said, oh, look, it's starting to come off. What well, was the blue side that was coming off? I knew that wasn't the right side because I know how to do this. He can't tell me what to do. I know how to do it. So because it was his suggestion, I couldn't even listen to this, so I missed it. So if you ever see Elkton wandering around West Philadelphia with a flat tire, would you please extend my apologies to him? What happened? I was prideful. I was allowing my stubborn pride to get in the way of what was an opportunity for service. And God said, uh-uh. I am going to oppose this pride in you. And you know what? That story has nothing to do with bicycle tires and holes and a guy walking in West Philadelphia. It has everything to do with who I am as a person and how I serve and how I relate to people. You know how many times that story comes up when I, somebody says, can you do this? And I say, yeah, I think I can do that. But not from a position of power, not from a position of pride, from a position, yes, I think God has equipped me to do this, and I'll be glad to help you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So to close this up, I would like to talk personally a little bit. Actually, I have been talking personally with it. <laughs> outing myself with my pride and my humiliation, even as I think about it now, I still beat myself up over this. It's just, how could you have been so stupid? But it really was in God's hands, right? I don't know why God calls sinful people to shepherd sinful people. I don't know why. Why does God call sinful people to shepherd sinful people? But he does. The scriptural record is that God calls nobodies to be his leaders. We have to be small enough for God to use. We can't be useful if we're too big in our own eyes. And I say I don't know why, but there's a sense in which I do because it's not about us, it's about him. It's not about us, it's about him. See, the problem with that changing that bike is it was all about me. It had nothing to do with this person in need. It had nothing to do with God who, was gonna, who put, put us together at just the right time and place where I could help him in his distress. No, it was all about me. I was too big in my eyes, and I could not help. The scriptural record is that God calls nobodies to be his leaders. And in this, surfe in this service, there is suffering. There is suffering 
as we shepherd God's people. There is daily concern for God's people, concern for how things are going, how you're doing. There is pain when you are pained. There is sadness. There is grief when someone falls into sin, uh, when someone suffers a loss. There, we, we feel that pain. There's the hard work of feeding you with the correct teaching of God's Word. There are late meetings. There are difficult decisions to be made. There are times I've made decisions that I didn't even agree with <laughs> because that's where God was leading us and we had to make the decision. There's a suffering in that. There's a struggling to make sense of what God is doing and would have us do. There are straying sheep. There are rebellious sheep. And then there are spiritual battles with the powers of darkness. The number of times I could tell you that just the, the, the you know that the struggle that you're in is bigger than what is right in front of us. There's something bigger going on. There's a suffering in that. As shepherds, God calls us to look beyond the weaknesses and frailties of the sheep, as well as our own weaknesses and frailties, to trust that the shepherd and overseer of our souls is the one ultimately leading his church. We must not forget the chief shepherd. We need to look beyond the suffering. We need to look beyond the struggles. We need to look beyond the people to the chief shepherd. <laughs> As I point there, I'm looking at the shepherd in the back window. We need to look to the chief shepherd. It's not about us. It's about him. Well, just as I don't know why God calls sinful people to shepherd sinful people, I also don't know why God calls sinful people to submit to sinful people. But he does. The scriptural record is also clear that no leader except one was a perfect and sinless leader. There is no leader in the entirety of Scripture except one, Jesus himself, who was a perfect and sinless leader. And there is suffering here too, and I've been on that side of the fence. There are personal hardships. Then how many times have you felt a, a victim of decisions or circumstances that were beyond your control? There's confusion. There's uncertainty being asked to submit to leaders who are flawed and weak and imperfect. I've been there. I've sat, I'm a sheep too. You know, elders are not some separate category. We're just sheep that God has called as under shepherds. We all sit there. And as sheep, God calls us to look beyond the weaknesses and frailties of the under shepherds to trust that the chief shepherd is leading his people through these weak and flawed under shepherds in ways that we don't fully understand it's not about us. It's about Him. So one thing you could do for us, we do have a meeting this Tuesday night, uh, please pray for us that we would remember the chief shepherd and all we do. And you could pray these verses for us, that we would do this willingly, eagerly, as examples, looking to the chief shepherd as under-shepherds. So it's ultimately not about sinful people leading and sinful people following. It's about Him. It's about the chief shepherd. As shepherds, the elders are under-shepherds and overseer of our souls by God's appointment. The elders are visible representations of the invisible God, and we will one day give an account to Him. The chief shepherd appoints shepherds to lead and calls his sheep to follow in humble submission to him and to one another. There is a mutual submission. We are all in the same boat as sinful human beings called as the children of God. 
We are learning to live in humble submission to God and then to one another. And that's why I started with verse 19 of chapter 4. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There have been many times in my spiritual life, including in the life of this church, where I did not understand what was going on, that things it just it didn't make sense. Things weren't coming together. And what, can, what do I have to do? Peter says, entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Look beyond the things you can't understand. Look beyond the human beings that are leading this. Look beyond the troubles and the circumstances that are coming crashing upon you and look to the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Entrust your soul to him. Don't try to figure it all out. Don't try to answer it yourself. You figure out what it looks like to do good in that situation, to do right, and leave it to him to work it out. Look beyond the human agents and the difficult circumstances to see the faithful creator and the chief shepherd behind it all. We can entrust ourselves to God with the knowledge that it will be worth it all and that Jesus will make it all right when the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls returns one day real soon. He says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. For us, soon would be tomorrow. For him, soon could be a thousand years. But what is that in light of eternity? He is coming soon. We live best when we live with the end in mind. We live best when we live with the end in mind. So through all the trials of life, including those that make up our life within the, this church called Grace Chapel, may we say with the psalmist in Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd. And Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So let us learn what it is to clothe ourselves, all of us, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's close in prayer. Lord, Thank you that you have provided leadership for your church in the midst of the suffering of this world. But I thank you most of all that we do not have to depend upon ourselves, but can look to you for the grace and strength and wisdom to fulfill those responsibilities before you, whether as shepherds or as sheep. May you have your way with us for your glory and for our good. I ask, Father, that you would help us to learn more and more what it means to live as children of God, set free from sin, set free from fear, set free from attempts to rescue ourselves. May we know more and more what it means that you, Lord, are our shepherd. Help us to learn more and more, to learn what it is that when we suffer, to entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Help us to learn more and more what it means to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. And so, Father, we entrust ourselves to your care, asking you to lead us, and I ask you to apply by the power of your Spirit, apply this message to 
our hearts individually as needed, as families, and as a corporate family here known as Grace Chapel. May you have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close the service?